0: Good morning, everyone. Um, I'd be most grateful if you would uh, make sure you have a Bible open at that passage, just read for us uh, by Phil. uh, Psalm 22, beginning at verse 22, page 555 in the Church Bibles. And let me have a word of prayer as we approach this passage together. Loving Father... Your word, too, is beautiful. Beautiful, most of all, because from beginning to end, it it speaks to us about Jesus, who who died according to the Scriptures and was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. No wonder that he himself said these Scriptures testify about me. And so we ask that by your Holy Spirit you would speak to us from this scripture and grant us understanding minds and glad hearts and willing obedience. Amen. So we return for a second installment of Psalm 22. If you were here, last Sunday morning, then you will perhaps recall that um, the psalm begins with an agonized cry of dereliction. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Actually a word of great encouragement to God's people um, uh, in all ages, because if you have ever been in that place yourself, then you are not the only person (laughs) And you're not the last person to feel that God has forsaken you. And then that earlier part of the psalm contains notes of hope. Again, not least in that expression itself. Because God is still remembered, still addressed as my God. Even though David cannot feel or sense God's presence with him feels that God is simply not helping him in his predicament, in his plight. Um, Hope too, because David goes on to rehearse some of God's faithfulness to his people in the past. God's faithfulness to him personally in, as it were, bringing the midwife who first brought him out of the womb. And then expressions towards the end of the first part of the psalm. In verses um, uh, 19, 20, and 21, David turns to plead to to the Lord to help, to save, to deliver, and rescue him. So even though I don't know of uh, a more agonized cry in the whole Old Testament than that one, itself and its context is full of hope. There was also one time, of course, in the New Testament, when this same cry was uttered. And that was by the Lord Jesus from the cross, quoting those very words as he dies, that agonized and accursed criminal's death at Calvary. In fact... Not only that expression, that cry from the first verse, but there are many expressions, especially in the middle of the psalm, which, have, uh, which are closely matched by the descriptions that we have of Jesus' death on the cross in the New Testament. I won't go through these in detail, but you can just glance through and see what a close similarity there is between various expressions, I've just picked out some of the more obvious ones, between David's description of his plight and the gospel's description of Jesus' uh, experience on the cross. And so therefore we are right to draw um, a very close parallel, not simply between verse 1 and the crucifixion, but between the whole psalm and the experience of Jesus' But there are not only similarities, but also differences between the experience of David in this psalm and the experience of Jesus, the Lord Jesus, on the cross. One of the um, perhaps surprising things about the psalm is that in David's case in the psalm, no answer is given to the question, why? We don't know why. We don't really know even how he was suffering we don't know whether this was actually a severe illness, whether he was actually being besieged by enemies, or whether he was just filled with spiritual doubt and agony, experiencing the, what we call the dark night of the soul. Um, and we certainly don't know from the psalm why God <laughs> led him through that dark experience. Nor, in the psalm, is any reason that I can discern, given, for the sudden change of key from minor to major in verse 22. So if you have a look in verse 21, David is still pleading with the Lord, rescue me from the mouth of the lions. But suddenly, from verse 22 onwards, things have changed completely. I will declare your name to my brothers in the congregation. I will praise you. A sudden change from minor to major, with no explanation as to what has happened, whether that severe illness has suddenly been lifted, whether those who had threatened his life, threatened, in fact, to execute him, have suddenly withdrawn or whether his dark night of the soul has been lifted by a special and gracious visitation from God. We don't know. It doesn't say. So we don't know the answer why, in David's case, and we, n- neither do we know the reason for the sudden change of mood from um, very somber to very elated. Whereas, in Jesus' case... The purpose of his suffering is made clear time and time again. Just to give one example from Romans 5 and verse 8, on the cross, God demonstrates his own love for us. Please let's notice that on the one hand, we're talking about God having forsaken his son, yet on the other hand, we're saying that God was in it all along, expressing his own love. For us, in that while we were yet sinners, back to Catherine's little talk to the children, while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And those two little words, for us, are a repeated refrain throughout the New Testament. So we know why. Jesus experienced the agony and the God-forsakenness of the cross. We are told, and it was for us. And we also know the reason for the change of mood, the change of key from minor to major. Because God raised him from the dead. I love these words. It was not possible for death To keep its hold on him. Words of Peter. On the day of Pentecost. Peter who so recently. Has denied his Lord three times. Now. Believing and empowered. Able to say those words. It was not possible. Well no wonder. The mood has changed. If such a reason. Is given. For Jesus God forsakenness. And such. An explanation is given for the change of mood. Do you remember the time, and I, I just love this story, uh, on this, the, what we would call the Sunday after Good Friday? Uh, two people um, uh, are trudging back on the seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to their home in Emmaus. They know that Jesus has died on the cross, They know that the tomb is empty. They know that some angels have said that he's risen. But it makes no sense to them at all. So they are reflecting uh, and and really extremely sorrowful about it all. It simply hasn't hit home. And uh, they're talking to one another about all these events muddled up in their heads. And someone comes along. And starts talking to them. What are you talking about while you're walking along the road? And they tell him. And then uh, it turns out, of course, to be the risen Lord himself. What wonderful words. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? The sufferings and the glory of Christ. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets. By Moses, we would probably mean the first five books of the Old Testament, all the way back there to the first few chapters of Genesis, and all the prophets. So that's, in a sense, the entire Old Testament. He, Jesus, explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. We don't know exactly which scriptures he picked out. But I feel pretty confident that in addition to that, and I've got to say it again, that miraculous chapter in Isaiah, chapter 53, I would have thought uh, a, a, a very clear contender for Jesus picking out and of saying, look, here's a scripture that speaks about me, would be Psalm 22. The first part of the psalm, his sufferings. The second part, his glories. Or put a little bit more uh, concisely by Peter in his first uh, letter, when he explains that the prophets spoke of, on the one hand, the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Can I just pause to, to make a comment I know I made it recently um, uh, in an evening service uh, context, but it just occurred to me and and become, uh, I felt it fairly important to reflect on this uh, during this period leading up to Easter, this period of Lent. That it's good that the Christian churches um, celebrate Christmas and Good Friday and Easter and Pentecost and these other things. But the danger, if we, um, if we only think about incarnation at Christmas and, 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 and cross on Good Friday and resurrection on Easter Sunday, is we separate these things out. And scripture is very keen, repeatedly talks about the sufferings and the glories of the Messiah. Um, so this idea of coming into church you know, looking very glum on Good Friday and then coming back two days later with smiles on her face, saying it's all right after all, actually doesn't quite fit. It's not called Good Friday for nothing. The one who has died is risen. In fact, not only risen, but ascended, glorified, rules at his Father's right hand, has poured out his Holy Spirit and will come again in glory. That same Jesus. So it's good not only to separate and celebrate separately, but also connect together, as I think Scripture usually does. These events in the Father giving his Son to the world. But now to return to uh, our psalm. Uh, Concerning the glories of the Messiah... And what it means for us as Christians, I would like to pick out just five things from these verses, from 22 onwards. Firstly, there is proclamation going on here. Do you see that in verse 22 and verse 23? I will declare your name to my brothers. Well, no wonder, because God has done such a wonderful thing. And again, we find in Acts and chapter four, the early church, Peter and John. When criticized and told to stop, talking about Jesus, they said we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Do we feel the same about Jesus crucified and risen, that we cannot help talking about it? Even though people would like us to um, just put our religion on the the edge of society, on the edge of culture. Privatise it. That's what as the secular would love us to do
1: they don't mind us being
0: christians just keep it to yourself it's a private thing no it's a public act that god has done and as we shall see done it not just for us but for the whole world as peter will say in uh, again in his first letter that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light so we have proclamation going on here in response to God having glorified uh, his son. Secondly, we have explanation going on here. Do you see the key word for? There's some explaining going on here. Why is David so excited? Why should we be so excited as followers of Jesus Christ? For, verse 24, he has listened to his cry for help. For, verse 28, Dominion belongs to the Lord. And can I can just point out to you, um, uh, going back in our, our Psalm to verse um, verse three. Back then, when David was in deep darkness, God was on His throne. God was on His throne in verse three when things were bad, and God is still on His throne now in verse uh, 28, when things are so obviously much better. Can we just reflect on that in a moment? Whether you think that things for you in your life, including spiritually, are as bad as they possibly could be, or as good as they possibly could be, God is on his throne. And verse 31 begins with... um, An expression which Phil rightly emphasized, for he has done it. And many readers of this psalm have heard here an echo of Jesus' words on the cross when Jesus shouted out, It is finished, accomplished, done it, achieved. That's what it means, that cry cry from the cross. It is finished. It's not a cry of giving up. It's a cry of completed. He has completed the work that the Father gave him to do. Echoes, we think, of that in the last verse of this psalm. So there's um, explanation going on here as to why there is such thrill and excitement and joy. There's also celebration going on here. Uh, Verse 25 and 26, David says, I will fulfill my vows. It's as though when he was in deep trouble, he had made a vow to the Lord. Look, Lord, if you, once you help me, once you come to my aid, then I will make sure that you receive proper thanks and praise. And of course, God doesn't always receive proper thanks and praise. How much are we in the habit of asking God for this, that? God, help me. But then, like a certain number of people with leprosy, as I seem to recall, uh, who were healed by Jesus, but only was it one came back and said, thank you. Where are the others? Asked Jesus. They'd gone. They'd forgotten. Well, David is clear that he's not taking it for granted. Neither should we. Uh, there is, behind the words here in these verses, this idea of holding, well, a party. Uh, inviting a friends, inviting the poor. Yeah, let's lay on a feast, and the poor can come along. And, um, and also a hint of a toast being given. Do you see that? Let me just find it in, um, um, may your hearts live forever. Sounds like a toast, doesn't it? To those who have come to your party, to your celebration. So part of our calling, part of our um, privilege as Christians, is to celebrate. The question is quite often asked, uh, nowadays especially, can I be a Christian without going to church? There's all kinds of ways in which we might deal with that, uh, with that question. But one of which is, if you don't, if you're, if you count yourself a Christian but to, don't go to church, who are you going to celebrate with? What's a party on your own look like? <laughs> feel like not much of a party then we have in this latter part of the psalm what I'm calling the extension and here's where the psalm really begins to really break out of its Davidic boundaries, there's something now going on in the psalm far bigger than even King David could have um, realised or experienced in fact we have David's good news, the good news of, of triumph, of victory over sin and death, going out in ever-increasing circles. Verse 22, he's sharing it with his brothers. Also in verse 22, he's sharing in the congregation, this party, this feast. In verse 23, he's sharing it with Israel. But by, by the time he reaches verse 27, that message has gone to the ends of the earth. What an amazing thing to be predicted. And what an encouraging thing is whatever plight we think the Christian gospel might be in, in this church, in this city, in this country, in, in today's world, the firm promise of God's word is that it does and it will reach the ends of the world. And Jesus sends us near and far to the ends of the earth, Matthew 28 in the Great Commission, with this good news. And then the psalm ends up with anticipation. There is not only geographical extent, but a chronological extent. Posterity, future generations, will be told about the Lord this psalm looks way into the future and says, God's kingdom, earthly kingdoms may may wax and wane, but God's kingdom will spread and grow to the end of the age. Because that's what God's word teaches from beginning to end. That despite all appearances, God's gracious, purposes are moving towards their goal never forget God's promise to Abraham back in the first book of the Bible Genesis all peoples on earth will be blessed through you God has not and God will not forget that promise we may sometimes feel as though the fulfillment of that of that promise is delayed or even shrinking But in the longer term, God will be faithful to his own promise. And what a privilege to be a part of that. So we find, I think, in this part of Psalm 22, um, a record of a past achievement. That God has done it. Something that God has achieved for us Christians and for the world in the sufferings and the glories of his Messiah the Christ and also as we've just seen a future prospect when all the kingdoms of the world be- will become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ and a present well yes a present duty for us we ought to share this knowledge this experience this good news with others but of course it's more than a duty It's a responsibility. The world needs to hear this truth, this good news, this gospel. It's more than responsibility. It's a privilege. We share the Christian message, not only because we ought to, because it's needed, but because we may. And lastly, because it's our great joy to serve God in whatever way he has called us as a church and as individual Christians to serve the work of the gospel. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we often, in contemplating these things, uh, feel that we are just touching the hem of your garment. Who is sufficient for these things? But we do pray now that you would fill us with a sense of wonder at what your sufferings have achieved and also what your glory, your rising, your ascension, your present rule, your future coming have and will achieved. We want to be a part of that and to serve you in our generation. Amen.